So I get a call last week from Living Savior Lutheran Church down the road asking me for some pictures of Pastor Losser. The woman I spoke with said they're celebrating their, 40, their church's 40th anniversary today. And as some of you may know, uh, this church helped uh, plant Living Savior. So there's a very strong connection between us other than uh, just being Lutheran. The person also said, you just celebrated your 140th anniversary, right? I said, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it came and went, apparently. 140 years as of last Wednesday. I should have picked all the church anniversary hymns from the hymnal to sing today, uh, but it just wasn't on my radar. Please forgive me for not making a big deal about it. Um, you know, I get a little wrapped up in helping people see Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and sometimes the other stuff gets overlooked. At any rate, if I'm still here 10 years from now, I promise we'll make a big deal about the 150th anniversary, okay? I've got it on my calendar. But speaking of anniversaries, this Wednesday brings a close, or, you know, kind of brings to a close the 500th anniversary year of the Reformation. Now, we made a big deal about that last year. And some of us attended what I consider one of the most stirring worship services I've ever experienced at Living Savior that afternoon. But here we are a year later, and life goes on. We could continue celebrating the Reformation for years to come. I mean, there's going to be a 500th anniversary of the Heidelberg Disputation, the Augsburg Confession, the Diet of Worms, all those milestones which happened after 1517. We could celebrate the 140th anniversary of the first pastor installed here, August Kentner, on November 3rd. We could celebrate the day the land was offered to the congregation on the 24th of November. We could celebrate the day the vote was taken to decide between two land offers on January 1st. And we could celebrate the day it was accepted on February 9th and every milestone after that. We can celebrate this and that till the day Jesus returns, but you know, we're already doing that. Every week we congregate here at this altar, not only to receive everything God has to give to us, namely forgiveness of sins through the Word and Sacrament. We also, re, we also celebrate the anniversary of our ultimate pastor, our high priest, Jesus Christ, every Sunday. We celebrate the anniversary every Sunday for what he's done for us. Unlike Kentner and Losser and myself and the whole host of priests just at this congregation, Many in number, we're all prevented by death from continuing in office, which I and my colleagues are somewhat thankful for. I mean, we get tired and die. But not the high priest, Jesus. He holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. You know, this, this Hebrews text is a really good reading for today for two reasons. 
First, we don't get to hear it very often because it usually gets replaced with a reading from Romans on the Sundays where we hijack the regular Pentecost Sunday for the Reformation. So today, instead of Romans, I've kept the Hebrews reading in there as if it were a regular Sunday because we don't hear it very often. The second reason, it's a completely appropriate Reformation-type reading. I mean, here you have the author of the Hebrews speaking of Jesus, the high priest, the highest of the highest. You can't get any higher. He's the one in charge of everything. He is our high priest, intercedes for us. This is what Martin Luther was trying to get the church and the pope to see 500 years ago. Now, Luther never wrote to the pope directly or spoke with him personally, but his hope was through his booklets and his pamphlets and his letters to other important church people, Pope Leo would come around and start being the pastor, the priest that he was supposed to be, a shepherd instead of a glory-hungry warrior. In fact, Leo X was supposed to be a reformer himself. He had promised to reform the church and fix some of the errors in practice that had developed over time, but he didn't do that. His idea of reform was to construct a humongous new cathedral in Rome dedicated to the Apostle Peter, whose bones, many believe, were buried somewhere out in the open and needed a proper place to be interned and protected from grave robbers and wild animals. It's from that capital campaign, it's from that project, which brought on the ramping up of indulgences to fund it. But, like most Sundays, we don't have time for a history lesson on the Reformation. I've got precious few minutes remaining to show you Jesus, so let's just stick to the text. The former priests that the author of the Hebrews is talking about are the temple priests of Israel starting with Moses' brother Aaron and continuing on this long line of priests through the next couple of thousand years leading up to Jesus. Don't ever buy into the lie that Christianity as a religion and Judaism for that matter as well are man-made systems that people made up to find God or to reach out to God or, to, or as a response to God or anything like that. Don't believe it. It's not true. The truth is just the opposite. God made up a system for man by where we would know Him and we would know His love for us and that we would be His people and He would be our God. It, It started at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, but because they brought sin into the world, God's relationship to people began to take on a much more systematic flavor or character, especially with the people Israel. And the priests are a big part of that. When God brought the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt, Moses and Aaron just didn't decide one day, hey, let's pick some of the men as priests and put them in charge of things. No, God directed that to happen and explained in great detail how that was going to work and what, even what the priests were going to wear. The priests were the middlemen, so to speak, between the people and God. They were the intercessors. 
They spoke to God in the temple on behalf of the people. On Sundays, I pray the collect, you know, the prayer on behalf of all of you. Well, that's where this comes from. That practice comes from the days of the priests of Israel. I wish I could do it in the Hebrew, but I would just butcher it. I know it. But the priests did all kinds of things to atone for the people, to to atone for the sins of the people. Uh, They burned bread. They burned animals. uh, they They did all this in the temple as an offering to God so that the smoke would actually rise up and be a pleasing aroma to to God, and it was. See, which is kind of cool. We know God has eyes He can see. We know God has a mouth He can speak. His hands, He can do things. Well, He also has a nose. He can smell, which is interesting. The blood of goats and sheep were splattered onto the altar to cover the sins of the community. The priests did daily rituals, attending to this and that in the temple, and there were very strict guidelines that they didn't impose on themselves, but that God imposed on them to make sure everything was done according to the way that He had set it up. It was a very elaborate, complicated, messy, probably very smelly, but beautiful system whereby God was God and the people were His children. So, no slides today. I have a model instead. You know I like to build models. Well, you know, if you can build a model of something from the Bible, man, that's the best of both worlds, isn't it? Yeah, so I have a model here of the tabernacle. Okay, this was the portable version of the permanent temple that would be built later on in Jerusalem. So it's, uh, you know, unfortunately I don't have a good place to display this for you to see it. Uh, So maybe what you can do after the service is Come up here and take a look at it. Peel back the tent covering to reveal the inner chambers of the, of the most holy place where the bread was burned and the smoke, uh, stuff, uh, the smoke went up to God and the Ark of the Covenant is way in the back which uh, only Aaron was allowed to go in there. And then there's other stuff out in the courtyard. There's the tables where the sheep were uh, slaughtered and the blood was spilled and collected into bowls and then flung onto the altar. There's the big fire pit where the uh, bowls and the ox were burned as a sacrifice. All that is in there. It's made to scale about 1 50th. So if you look at it a foot away, that's what the real thing would have looked like 50 feet away. Or put 50 of these models together, line them up, and that would be the length of the real thing. Anyway, this The real tabernacle was a model of heaven, a mini version of the system by which the people were saved and also a a, a picture of things to come. It was also the place where God promised to be physically. He was there in the fire and the smoke that hovered above the thing. And he was also in the deepest chamber under the tent covering. Like I said, only Aaron and his replacements could go in there. He was the high priest. All this was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When Christ showed up and died on the cross, he replaced this system because he is now the high priest. He is also the sacrifice. All those little sacrifices, all those lambs butchered and the, 
and the, uh, the, all those tables and the blood spilled, all that pointed or led up to Jesus Christ. There's no more need to atone for the sin of the people in this way because Jesus is the final sacrifice on our behalf. As Christians, we have the freedom to do those rituals if we want. I mean, not many do. We can do those to remember where Jesus came from and why, but we no longer put our trust in them in that they atone for our sin because Jesus has done that once and for all. Thank goodness, right? You're glad you don't have to, or I'm glad I don't have to <laughs> spill blood all over the altar and that kind of thing. Our friend Yoel Ben David from Jews for Jesus, who comes uh, once a year or so. Uh, remember, he was here last year, well, or uh, he was here earlier this year, and he led a, a little presentation down in the uh, basement one evening, and uh, he got heckled by a visitor, uh, accused him, who accused him of observing the Jewish laws while at the same time professing to be Christian. And Yoel very disarmingly explained to the guy that all those traditions and rituals are fine if you want to do them, but your trust must be in Jesus for your salvation. I'm running out of time, so I'll jump ahead uh, in thought here and finish with our church today. You know, where does this... Where, how do we kind of fit into this whole uh, system? Well, don't ever buy into the lie that you don't need the church to be a Christian. It's not true, and the truth is just the opposite. It's through the church that you and I were brought to the waters of baptism, right? It didn't happen when you were out fishing with your grandfather in the lake. It's through the church that God gives you people who can relate to you, encourage you, and share your burdens. And you can be all that for them too. It's through the church that you hear about God and what He's done for you. It's through, through the church that He gives you priests, or in our case, pastors, to announce the forgiveness of sins as if Christ Himself was standing here speaking it to you. It's through the church that you're kept safe and secure as if you were in the Ark of the Covenant. Or the Ark of Noah, for that matter. Either one. And your faith is made stronger by the Holy Spirit working through the Word. Those things happen when you gather around the Word of God with your fellow Christians. Your priests, of which there were many and going to be many, die because death prevents us from serving until Jesus returns. That's a result of sin. But thanks be to God, we have a high priest, the ultimate pastor, Jesus Christ, who always makes intercession for us because He loves us. So let's exalt Him. Let's celebrate His anniversary every day and tell others the great things He has done. Happy anniversary for the Reformation. Happy anniversary for this church. And happy anniversary, praise God, that we have Jesus the High Priest. Amen.